Well, good morning, Solace Church. Thank you so much for being here. Man, it was good just to, just to take communion with you, to worship with you, to sing a hymn with you. Man, that is so refreshing for my soul. I'm so, so incredibly honored to be able to just to share that with you. And so thank you for being here today. It's kind of the week before Christmas, although that's like, what, 12 days or 13 days away. Uh, but it, for us... This is the week before we celebrate collectively as a body of believers uh, the birth of Jesus. And so next week, as you just saw just briefly, uh, next week is Christmas. It's God with us. And I and listen, we're working hard on this, uh, this whole, whole service that's coming up. And I cannot wait to share with you uh, on that Sunday. And so be here next week. Invite your family and friends, 9, 15, and 11. Uh, and man, I'd love to see just every seat full. I'd love to see our parking lot overflowing. That'd be so cool. So make sure you're inviting your family and friends to be here uh, with us. Um, also tonight, I'll be here with my family. It's family night. Jay will tell you all the details in just a little bit, but this night is really cool. You know, a part of it's going to be uh, the, the kids' uh, Christmas production, but man, it's so much even more than that. That's going to be really cool. It always is. And we're just adding to that with some other really, really cool things. So if you are, even if your kid's not in like the Christmas program part, you still want to be here with your family. I promise you it'll be great. I've been hearing about all the details. And so make sure that you're here for this evening service. So if you're a guest, thank you for being here today at Solace Church. Uh, if this is your first time, and I'd love to meet you. And so don't leave today until you get a chance or I get a chance to say hi to you. So I'll be down at the front right after service. And of course, as we always do every week, thank you for those watching online at solacechurch.com, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for being a part of our online community. And so today, church, uh, this is like, as I said, the week before Easter. (laughs) Yeah. The week before Christmas, and just got ahead of myself there a little bit. And so anyway, week before Christmas, and there's a word that I want to focus on today. It's a word that I I don't think we've ever talked about here at Solace Church, at least in terms of a message. And I, I want you to think about this word with me for just a minute. It's the word anticipation. It's a really, really, really powerful word. Anticipation is a powerful change agent in our life, and I'll show you why in a minute. My son, Graham, uh, it's really interesting. I I rarely talk about Graham. Uh, I always talk about Grady and Georgia. Graham is my middle child. (laughs) It just fits, doesn't it, that he's seldom mentioned on any stage, right? Our middle child, Graham is, he's probably most like me in terms of personality, but he's most like Jennifer in terms of celebrations and holidays. Graham is our child that loves, loves, loves this time of year. Um, He's the one who's all in for all the Christmas traditions, and he just cannot wait for Christmas to come. And, And part of the reason, like every child, he loves opening gifts and all that stuff, but hear me, his heart is so pure in this. He just loves the fact that it's Jesus' birthday. And the dude loves Jesus already. He's five, and he loves Jesus, and he's so excited that this is his birthday. And so I love watching him. Because he's full of anticipation about this time of year. At our house, we do a couple of traditions. One of them is we read a book through every year. It's, it, just, it just takes us from December 1st all the way through the 25th. And it talks about the whole story of redemption from Adam all the way to Jesus. It's a great story. And we also at our house, we have uh, each, each of our kids have this, this, this box uh, that's just got Christmas images all over the front, and it has numbers that represent, you know, the days, and they're all scattered on the page. They're not in order, so our kids have to find it. And at, at the, there's a tab that you peel off that, that uh, on, on whatever day of the month it is, and underneath the tab, there's a piece of chocolate. 
And they love, of course, that part. And so every night they're over there, even Georgia at what, like one and a half, she knows where this is at and she's walking over there grunting for the, you know, the chocolate. That's a favorite part of her day. But anyway, Graham loves, loves this time of year. It's, he's full of anticipation and it changes the things he talks about, the way he acts. It's amazing what it does in his life. And I thought about, you know, a couple of thousand years ago now, here we have Joseph and Mary and, 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 and they've been told that, 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 the Messiah will be born through Mary, and Mary is carrying Jesus in her womb. And I, I just thought about this week, what must she have been thinking? You know, Mark Lowry wrote the song, Mary, Did You Know, when he's made ridiculous amounts of money off that song. Because it is interesting to think about what the mother of Jesus would have been processing as she approached the day in which she was going to give birth to Jesus. And so they're making their way to to where Jesus would ultimately be born, and, and Joseph certainly is trying to process, I'm sure, but, but Mary is going through this, this time of anticipation, looking forward to what's taking place. You know, this, this word anticipation has a, a really interesting uh, Greek translation. The Greek word that we bring into English as anticipation is a powerful word. As a matter of fact, this Greek word is primarily, almost exclusively used in Christian literature. It's unique to the Christian experience, and you'll see why in just a couple of minutes. But the Greek word is apokaradokia. Now, apokaradokia is, is a combination of three different Greek words. And for, for us to appreciate what anticipation really is about, you have to understand each of these three Greek words. So just follow me for a moment as we kind of unpack each of these words. First of all, it's the Greek word apo, which means away from. And then kara, which means the head. And then dokia, which means thinking. So if you were to combine all those phrases together, you would get this phrase, away from the head thinking. That's what anticipation is. Here's what maybe a phrase you've heard before. I'm out of my mind. That's what it means. It means that you're so caught up in the thought and what you're looking forward to that it kind of consumes you. In a good way, most of the time. I mean, it just kind of just takes over uh, your life and it kind of orders your life around what you're looking forward to. Think about a woman who's, who's going to give birth to, to, to a child. Think about what that woman does, what that, what that woman does. And, you know, men, you know, we're kind of there, but we can't even appreciate all that they go through. You, you watch and as the, as the day approaches and they know, you know, it's coming soon, it's amazing what they do. They start buying certain things and they start nesting. They start getting things ready. I've seen my wife do it three different times now. And every time you just know, here it comes. I mean, she just, you can see she's getting that routine. She's looking forward to that. Think also in terms of, say, like a, like a, like a wedding ceremony that's about to happen. Think about the power of, of how looking forward to that wedding ceremony orders the life of the soon-to-be bride and groom. You know, I, I get the opportunity to, to, to coach uh, couples who are getting ready to be married. It's called premarital coaching. And I sit down with them, and every single time I coach a, a couple, I always ask them the question, how's it going? And it's usually a couple of weeks to a month out. And I ask, you know, what are you doing? What, what's on your radar? And, you know, the husband's, <laughs> he's usually engaged at some level, but it's the, it's the soon-to-be wife, you know. It, and she is just consumed. All of her thoughts, all of her time, all of her attention is just focused in on making sure that wedding is exactly like she dreamed that it was going to be. And so you can just see them captivated by this moment. That's what anticipation does. It draws you in. Now, 
there's, there's an interesting part of the word apokaradokia. The, the, the first word, apo, really brings to weight or to bear what goes on when we're driven or when we're changed by anticipation. So apo implies abstraction, the idea of taking things away. For instance, my attention turned from anything else that might engage it. So it really focuses my, my attention, my thoughts around that thing that I'm looking forward to. That's the idea of oppo, to, to focus in. At the exclusion of everything else, I'm lasered into that thing and you just name the thing. So this is the idea of anticipation. Now, for a moment, let's just play this out. What, what changes in my life? What happens in my life when I live with anticipation? Just think for a moment of a, of a mother. Think for a moment of a soon-to-be bride. Think, think about what they do and, and how it affects their life. For instance, number one, it, it, affects, it controls my thoughts. As I just said a minute ago, it becomes the filter by which every other thought filters through. It's not as though someone who's looking forward to something doesn't think about other things. But, but whatever else is on their mind ultimately is filtered through what I'm looking forward to. So if the bride has to go to work, she's going to work to pay for her wedding, right? I mean, everything filters through that thing that's in front of her or in front of him. It also affects my schedule. Everything is ordered around what I'm looking forward to. There's no way that a bride-to-be or a groom-to-be would schedule something on their wedding day, right? Other than their wedding. Or they would not be married that day, right? That's the focus. It orders what I put into my schedule. What else does it do? It affects how I spend my money. (laughs) And every (laughs) parent who's ever had to pay for a wedding would say, Amen. It affects how I spend my money. Money, it also affects how I invest in relationships. It prioritizes those relationships that I'm going to pour into, those relationships that I don't have time for, those relationships that I need to build. This is what it does for us. So when I see something on the horizon, when I'm looking forward to something, it orders my life around it. Now, I want you to think about that picture in terms of Scripture. Okay? Think about what, what took place in the first century. Here you have in the Old Testament, you have the prophets foretelling that Jesus was going to come. There was going to be a Messiah, and they gave specific details where he was going to be born, the events surrounding his birth. And then you have these prophets who ceased to prophesy. And there's about 400 years between the last prophecy and between the birth of Jesus. Those 400 years are called the interbiblical period or the 400 years of, do you know the word? Silence. And do you know what happens when there are 400 years of silence? People lose anticipation. All these prophecies about the coming Messiah and people are excited and then God seems to be silent for 400 years. And what happens when God seems silent is people tend to drift. Their oppo changes. They tend to be refocused or they shift their focus into other things that might drive them for a moment. And they lose sight of of what God has prophesied. And so this was going on in the first century. As a matter of fact, people had so drifted away from from the idea of a prophet or a Messiah that when he was born, he was hardly noticed. There were a few people that noticed it. Do you know who they were? They started the star shining and they were called wise men. 
And the reason why they weren't caught off guard when Jesus came is because they were looking forward to that event and they knew what to look for. And so they were eagerly awaiting the moment when the Messiah would come. And so when he came, they didn't miss it. Fast forward 2,000 years. You know, Jesus came, he gave his life. We just took communion and I absolutely love that. And so Jesus, after his birth, after his death, he ascends into heaven. Before he leaves, he tells the church, I'm coming back for you. It says, it's another prophecy. This time it's not through a human that he prophesies, but it is God himself who declares, I'm coming again. That's why we sing this song that we do, even so, Lord, come. Like a bride waiting for her groom. We'll be a church ready for you. Even so, Lord, come, right? It's the picture of the church being ready, anticipating this return of Christ. And yet it's been 2,000 years. And what happens to a church over the course of 2,000 years when the prophecy hasn't been fulfilled? Apo changes. I want to show you in Scripture for just a couple of minutes, and then I want, to, I want to encourage you to think very practically about your own life. I want to show you in Scripture Paul's warning to the church not to drift. Because Paul understands in 1 Thessalonians that the church has a tendency to drift. The church has a tendency to lose focus, to lose the eager anticipation. So I'm going to go there in just a minute. But I'm going to show you in Romans chapter 8 a very powerful picture of what Paul has in mind as he awaits the day when Christ returns. Because church, it was great news that Jesus came the first time. It is even better news that he's coming back the second. Because in the first coming, he paid for our sins. But in the second coming, our full redemption will be realized. In the first coming, he paid for our sins, but left us in a fallen world. But in the second coming, he redeems the world, and we are in all things new through him. Paul understands this. And so in Romans chapter 8, Paul helps us understand. As a matter of fact, this is, this is the only two times in Scripture that I found that the word anticipation is used. Same Greek word. Translated a little different into English, but, but notice. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 19. The creation itself waits in eager expectation. Here's that Greek word, apokaradokia. Eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Verse number 21. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Even all of creation is waiting on the return of Jesus. It's longing with eager expectation for the liberation from the decay that it's currently experiencing. Verse number 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. And then here we see again the Greek word for anticipation, verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Same word. It's translated here, apodekomai. Wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. Eager anticipation, waiting for the return of Christ. You know, it's interesting. If we believe that Jesus is coming, and if we believe he's coming soon, and soon may be a day or could be, it could be a while in terms of our, our understanding, but, 
But, but if we believe Jesus is coming, it should order our, 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 our lives. Think about this. It should affect how we think. It should affect my schedule. It should affect how I spend money. It should affect the relationships I'm willing to engage in, shouldn't it? And so Paul, leveraging this thought about what Jesus is going to do ultimately in his second coming, Paul warns the church. It's a great warning. It's an appropriate warning on this week or so before we celebrate the birth of Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is what Paul says to the church. He's writing to the church. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you. Verse number 2. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, stop. Paul says, look, if you're, if you're expecting me to come up with the exact day Jesus is going to come back, I don't have that day. Jesus already told us no man knows the hour or the time, right? Not even the Son of God knows when that day is going to come. Only the Father knows when he's going to send Jesus. That's Jesus' statement. And so Paul says, if you're expecting me to tell you the exact date, I don't have it. And by the way, if you hear someone try to predict the exact day Jesus is going to, going to come, just dismiss it. They don't know either. But that's not the point. The point is not for the church to try to figure out the exact date. Paul has a more important point for the church. Notice what he says, verse number three. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape, verse four. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. I know most of us have probably heard that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's absolutely true. But notice Paul's point. It shouldn't surprise the church. It should surprise everyone else because their oppo is off. But it shouldn't surprise the church. It should should just be the culmination of what we've been anticipating all of our existence. So Paul says it shouldn't surprise us. Now, hear me. Paul is going to give us some practical, real-life a to-do list or day-in and day-out practical living advice here as we think about our lives in light of the coming of Christ. In verse number five, he says this. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Verse six. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be, now here we, here, here's the impact, Let us be self-controlled or alert and self-controlled. Verse number seven. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And then verse eight. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You see what Paul says? When people live in light of the second coming of Christ, when they're anticipating that, inve- that event, they guard two things. They guard their heart and they guard their mind. They put on a breastplate of righteousness, as Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians. And they put on the helmet of salvation. These, these pictures are powerful. They order their life around the second coming, so much so that they protect who comes into their life. They guard themselves against certain behaviors and conduct. And their thinking is set on Jesus. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? And so let me ask you this question this morning. Let me ask you this question. What's your oppo? What's your oppo? 
And you could tell me this morning, because this is church, and you, know, you could give me the Sunday school answer, and you could say, I know my oppo, Jesus is coming back, and that's exactly how I think, and that's a really good answer. You know, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, ends the entire canon of Scripture, the last book in the Bible, almost the last sentence in the Bible. John says, even so, Lord, come quickly. He lives with an oppo of the return of Christ. He's living in that, in that imagery, in that, in that focus, in that attention. But are you? And you would say, well, yes, of course, you're here on Sunday, and, and this is church, and we just sang, and I just sang loud, and maybe a little off-key, but I was still singing because I believe that Jesus is coming, and I would say, that's great. But then I would ask you a follow-up question. If I were to go walk with you over the next month or two, would I see that oppo lived out in your life? It wouldn't take me long to walk with you to see how you order your thoughts, how you spend your money, how you invest your schedule, how you invest in relationships to determine what you're anticipating. You know, church, here's the deal. We are easily distracted. And sometimes it's sinful and sometimes it's good, but it's just not best. The truth is some people in this world, they are living, they are anticipating the next, hear me, the next sinful moment that they can experience. And that might be somebody even in this room. There are some people that endure the work week so that they can party all weekend. That's their anticipation. That's their oppo. And that's all they're living for is just the next time they can get that drunk and do that thing. And there are some people that are so consumed with the promotion or the starting of a new company or a new project that they are exclusively consumed by that to the expense of everything else. It becomes their oppo. They're so distracted by that that they don't live in light of the larger picture of the return of Christ. And let me offend a few more of you this morning. There are some of us that live, in, live so focused on our children's activities that we're consumed by it. So all we look forward to is the next game or the next event, and we lose sight of the larger picture of the return of Christ. And so all of our money and all of our time and all of our attention is just focused on that next thing that my kid has to do. And hear me, church, there's nothing wrong with activities. You've heard me say that a thousand times. Nothing wrong with that. But the greatest filter, the overarching filter of the life of the believer is that my thoughts, my schedule, my life, my relationships, my money is all ordered around this moment that Jesus is going to come back. So what's your oppo? Here's my prayer. Here's my prayer. My prayer is, is that if your oppo is off, that this morning, before we get into the craziness of the next two weeks, because it will get crazy, because it always gets crazy, that you would park your mind in your heart for a moment and you would say, am I living in light of the return Christ. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible as you listen to this message today that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.